Chapter 88 of The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties, by Fanny Burney. Chapter 88 The kind looks and determined approbation of the Admiral gave Juliet now courage to address him with a petition for his advice how she might arrive most expeditiously at Torbay. "'Torbay?' he repeated. "'Why, I could send you in my boat. But what?' his brow overclouding. "'What has a modest girl to do at Torbay?' Juliet answered that she should join there a friend whom she meant to accompany to the continent. Every mark of favour was now changed into disdainful displeasure, and turning abruptly away from her, he muttered to himself, though aloud, that the woman's going abroad, to outlandish places, whereby they learnt more how to dizzen themselves and cut capers, than how to become good wives and mothers, was what he could not uphold, and he would not lend a hand to. And then, without looking at her, he sullenly entered his own apartment. The disappointed Juliet, utterly overset, was still dejectedly ruminating in the corridor, when she heard the servants of Mrs. Howell announce that their lady's carriage was ready. She then recovered her feet, to escape any fresh offence by regaining her apartment. Her situation appeared to her now to be as extraordinary as it was sad and difficult. Entitled to an ample fortune, yet penniless, indebted for her sole preservation from insult and from famine, to pecuniary obligations from accidental acquaintances, and those acquaintances men, pursued with documents of legal right by one whom she shuddered to behold, and to whom she was so irreligiously tied, that she could not, even if she wished it, regard herself as his lawful wife though so entangled that her fetters seemed to be linked with duty and honour, unacknowledged, perhaps disowned by her family, and though born to a noble and yet untouched fortune, consigned to disguise, to debt, to indulgence, and to flight. While mournfully taking this review of her condition, and seeking but vainly to form some plan for its amelioration, she heard the potent voice of the admiral call out, "'To Powderham Castle!' as a carriage drove from the door. But ere she had time to lament the mortifying error of her benevolent, though ill-judging friend, the approach to the door of some other vehicle announced a fresh arrival, and presently all difficulties were absorbed in immediate terror, as again she heard that sound which, of all others, most severely shocked her nerves, the voice of Mrs. Howell. What could cause this abrupt return? Had she received the directions of Lord Denmeath? Was a new persecution arranged? Or, more horrible than all, had means been devised for casting again the most wretched of victims into the hands of the most terrific of her foes? Tremblingly she listened to every noise. A general commotion, with quick pacing feet, spoke the entrance into the house of sundry servants, and presently she distinctly heard the apartment of Mrs. Howell taken possession of by that lady, 
and by some person with whom she was discoursing. All now, for about a quarter of an hour, was still. She was then alarmed by a rustling sound, and a single footstep in the corridor. It approached, stopped, seemed turning back, approached again, and after a few minutes she was startled by a tapping at her door. She stood, she was all dismay and apprehension, she hesitated whether to bolt herself in, or to accord admission, but a second tap bringing to her reflection how short, how futile, how ineffectual would be any resistance, she turned the key, opened her door, and her room was instantly entered. Often, in the course of her long struggles and difficulties, had Juliet been struck with astonishment, but never had she known surprise that could bear any comparison with that which she experienced at this moment, when, expecting to see Mrs. Howell or Lord Denmeath, when, prepared for reproach, for menace, and for insult, she saw, as she fearfully raised her eyes, instead of all that she dreaded and loathed, all that she thought most sweet, most lovely, most perfect upon earth, in the elegant form and softly expressive face of Lady Aurora Granville, who, with eyes glistening and arms opening, gently ejaculated, "'My sister!' and fell, weeping, upon her neck. Juliet nearly ceased to breathe. Wonder, yet incredulity, took possession of her faculties, and she knew not whether it were possible that this could be reality till the big surprise, mingled with the almost too powerful delight of her bosom, found some vent in a violent burst of tears. Tender embraces, fond and open on the part of Lady Aurora, transported, yet fearful and doubtful, on that of Juliet, kept them for some minutes weeping in each other's arms. "'Can you, then?' cried the penetrated Juliet. "'May I believe in such felicity? Can you condescend so far as not to disdain, disclaim, and turn away from so unhappy a relation, so distressed, so helpless, so desolate an object?' "'Oh, hush, hush, hush!' cried Lady Aurora putting her hand upon the mouth of Juliet. "'You must not break my heart by any such idea, such a profanation, by making me apprehend that you could ever think me such a monster. Did I wait till I knew your rights to my affection before I loved you? Did I not divine them from the moment I first conversed with you?' Folding, then, her white arms around Juliet, with redoubled tenderness. "'Oh, my sweet Miss Ellis!' she cried. Let me call you still a little while by that dear name. I have loved it so fondly that I can hardly love more even to call you my dearest sister. How you have engaged my thoughts, rested upon my imagination, occupied my ideas, been ever uppermost in my memory, and always highest, oh, higher than any one in my esteem and admiration. Long, long before this loved moment, when Sir Jasper Harrington's letter makes my enthusiasm but a tender duty— "'Ah, Lady Aurora!' cried Juliet. "'What sufferings are not repaid by a moment such as this, "'by a blessing so superlative, as thus to be acknowledged, "'thus to be received, 
by a person whose virtues and sweetness would have made me delight in her favour, had I never wanted protection, had my lot in life been the most brilliant. Oh, hush, sweet sister, hush, interrupted Lady Aurora, again stopping her mouth. What words are these? Favour, Lady Aurora, ah, never let me hear them more, if you love me. What have we to do with such phrases? Are we not sisters? Shall I use such to you? Would you love me if I did? Would you rather not chide me? Juliet could only shed tears, though tears so delicious that it was luxury to shed them. Lady Aurora would have kissed them from her cheeks, but her own mingled with them so copiously that it was not possible. And though these smiles of expressive joy that brightened each countenance showed their sensibility to be but fullness of happiness, the meeting, the acknowledgment, with the throbbing recollection of all that was past, so touched each gentle heart that they could but weep and embrace, embrace and weep, alternately. "'I have coveted,' at length cried Juliet, "'almost beyond light or life. I have coveted this precious moment. When I first heard you named, you and Lord Melbury, on the evening of the play at Mrs. Maple's, oh, what were my emotions, my satisfaction, my apprehensions, my hopes, and my solicitude, when I saw two beings so sweet, so formed to create esteem and love, so innocent, so unassuming, so attractive, and whispered to myself, are these my nearest relations? Is this my sister? Is this my brother? How did my heart expand with joy and pride? How did I long to cast off all dispute, all reserve, and cry, Own me amiable beings, sweet sister, loved brother, pure, kind, and good, own your unhappy sister, take to your pitying protection the distressed, persecuted, insulated daughter of your father. Ah, why, cried Lady Aurora, did you not speak? Why not indulge the impulse of nature and of kindness? Your talents, your acquirements, your manners, won instantly all our admiration. Enchanted, bewitched us. But how wide we were from thinking, at that first moment, that we had any tie to a mutual regard with the accomplished Miss Ellis. Our first notion of that happiness, though still far from the truth, was after that cruel scene, which must for ever be blotted from all our memories, when my poor brother was urged on, so unhappily, to forget himself. The knowledge of that disgrace, from some listening servants, reached Mrs. Howell. She communicated it to my uncle Denmeath. No wonder he was alarmed. Still, however, he told us not the story, though to stop the progress of what he feared, he acquainted us that a report had formerly been spread, that we had a distant relation abroad. Not, he said, forgive him if possible, not in a right line related, and never by my father meant to be any way acknowledged. Oh, how little he knew my father, or, let me say, either of his daughters! But having put my brother upon his guard, by suggesting that it was possible that you might be this distant and unhonoured relation, ah, my Miss Ellis, if you had seen our indignant looks when we heard such phrases, he promised to seek you himself, and to examine into the affair, and exacted, forced from us both a promise, in return, 
that we would never either meet or write to you till he had ascertained what was the truth. The unfortunate scene at Mrs. Howell's alone made my brother submit, for he feared misconstruction, and his submission of course included mine. Ah, had you spoken at the time, had you revealed— Alas, my distresses were so complicated, what I most wished upon earth was constantly counteracted by what I most dreaded. I could not make myself known to my friends, in the soothing supposition that such I should find, without betraying myself to my enemy, for Lord Denmeath would assuredly have made me over to my persecutor. How then, in a situation so critical, yet so helpless, could I selfishly involve in my wretchedness, my perplexity, and my concealment, the kindest and tenderest of human hearts? "'Frequently,' said Lady Aurora, "'we have considered, and consulted together, what steps we ought to take. But the fear of some mistake, some imprudence, some offence, in a point so doubtful, so delicate, made us always decide that it was for you to speak first. And when I pressed so earnestly for your confidence, it was in the hope, the flattering hope, that I should prove my title to taking such a liberty. I had not else been so importunate, so inconsiderate. My brother, too, actuated by the same hope, urged you, perhaps even more precipitately, but in all honour, with all respect, with no view, no thought, but to cement our regard by the ties of kindred. My brother can scarcely yet know our beloved acquisition, but Sir Jasper tells me that he has sent a duplicate letter to him, with the same precious history that he has written to me. Oh, how fervent will be his delight! She then related, to the grateful, but joy-overpowered Juliet, that she had herself but just acquired this information, through the letter of which she had spoken and which had been put into her hands, as she was setting out for Chudleigh Park, to which place Mrs. Howell had, hastily, asked her to set off first with her maid, promising to overtake her by the way. The letter from Sir Jasper, Lady Aurora continued, changed the whole system of her conduct. When she learnt that Miss Ellis, instead of being either an adventurer, or a distant and unhonoured relation, was the daughter of her own father, by a first, a lawful though a secret marriage, all difficulty and irresolution vanished. Her first duty, she now thought, was the duty of a daughter, and the acknowledgment of a sister. She gave orders that her chaise should be driven back instantly to Tenmouth, but before she reached that village she met Mrs. Howell, with whose woman she immediately changed place and then communicated the interesting intelligence that she had just received. Mrs. Howell was utterly confounded, having either never conceived the truth, or been of opinion, with Lord Denmeath, that the interest and the dignity of his lordship's nephew and niece demanded its disavowal or concealment. But when Lady Aurora openly protested that she must instantly address her sister, through the medium of Sir Jasper Harrington, Mrs. Howell, to stop any written acknowledgment, confessed that the young person was out Tenmouth. Earnestly, however, insisting that no measures should be adopted till the arrival of Lord Denmeath, to whom she had already sent an express. But Lady Aurora no sooner heard this welcome news than, 
stimulated by conceiving that her inclinations and her sense of right were now one, she grew inflexible in her turn, and resolved to acknowledge and embrace her sister, without any other permission than the law of nature. Mrs. Howell, conscious, Lady Aura thought, that should the business take a new turn, from the interference of Sir Jasper Harrington, she might already have gone too far, was fain to accompany her back to the lodging-house, and, after giving many admonitions, to submit to the irrepressible impatience which sunk the niece and the sister. Lady Aurora solicited, now, to know for what reason the name of Ellis had been taken, and learnt that, in the terrible perturbation in which Juliet had parted from the Marchioness, they had hastily agreed upon two initial letters for their correspondence, reserving some better adoption to a consultation with Gabriella. To abuse the name of Granville would have been curting danger and pursuit, but the embarrassed avowal of Juliet, that had been surprised from her at Dover, by the abrupt interrogatory of Eleanor, that she knew not herself what she ought to be called, stood ever after in the way of any regulation upon that difficult point. She had been glad, therefore, to subscribe to the blunder of Miss Bidle, which seemed, in some measure, retaining an appellation, at least a sound, designed for her by the Marchioness, and which could not be called a deception, since all who then knew her knew also its origin. Lady Aurora acknowledged that, even from their childhood, both Lord Melbury and herself had heard, though secretly and vaguely, of a suspected elder-born, not of a prior marriage, and they had often wished to meet with Miss Powell, for calumny and mystery, while they had hidden the truth, had not concealed the attachment of Lord Granville, nor the suspicious disappearance of its object, and her mother. Innumerable plans, now, varying and short-lived, because unsanctioned by any authority, succeeded to one another, of what measures might be adopted for their living together immediately. "'For how?' cried Juliet. "'Could I henceforth sustain an insulated life? How bear to look around me again and see no one whose kindness I could claim? Oh, how support so forlorn a state, after feeling every sorrow subside on the bosom! May I, indeed, say so?' on the loved bosom of a sister. Thus in the grateful transports of sensations as exquisite as they were sudden and unexpected, Juliet, acknowledged as her sister by Lady Aurora Granville, and with hopes all alive of the tender protection of a brother, felt every pulse once again beat to happiness, while every fear and foreboding, though not annihilated, was set aside. End of chapter 88 Recording by Roxana Nazari